A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Doing all right. Doing all right. you're around because, like most of this, is actually based on all this crap you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was good. It was good, though. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Now hanging out with the guys at Obstructive View. We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but we're just a bunch of fans who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Good day. I am Ken. Uh, as you hear this, we're right before the holidays, so happy holidays to everyone. With me today are fellow jabronis, Skip and Adam from Obstructive View, and our Twitter buddy, Tyler. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so things happened. It looks like there was a kerfuffle with the shortstop situation, and the Cubs did, in fact, get a shortstop. It was one with, I, I guess you would say, a minimum of drama. And I guess we can go through and basically have a roundtable and figure out what else it is that we need to add to the team. And also, uh, Adam posted a bunch of questions on Obstructive View that he might not have the answers to, but perhaps we can find some or at least have a really good discussion. So how's that for a plan? I love this plan. I'm excited to be Let's do it. Sounds good. Let's do it. Past the ivy colored dreams toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrows. Carlos Correa, uh, we thought he was going to be a giant. I, I'm pretty sure he was too. The news was that he was about to get dressed for his conference and then they canceled on him. What my understanding of it is, it's just this weird situation where it seemed like the Giants got cold feet. Either they were and you know, this management group that runs them, someone in the mix or some collection of people in the mix decided that some medical concern, at least that's the report that may or may not be very old, uh, was too much of a harbinger of <laughs> bad things to come and they said you know what we're not sure we're gonna want to move forward with this on this level this financial commitment that they had made <laughs> but it turned into zero for zero dollars <laughs> and it seemed like that boris correa's agent was pretty taken aback by that his family was already <laughs> like gathered ready to go to the press conference with him they sat there for a couple hours waiting for some type of feedback from the Giants brass and nothing meaningful ever came. And so Boris got on the phone and within a matter of, it couldn't have been much more than 12 hours from, you know, them cutting off communication to him working on a deal with the Mets. And it's just the crazy thing about it is with like HIPAA laws, the Giants can't say publicly what it was that gave them concern so either on the bad side that prevents them from really being all that candid with why they pulled out or on the reverse side it could be a good excuse for them to use 
for other things that had nothing to do with health whatsoever that might have stopped the team or the ownership group from wanting to move forward. So either they're in the negative spot of not being able to say what honest reason they had, or they're in the positive vantage point of not being forced to come up with an answer because HIPAA. And then the Mets just don't care how much luxury tax they have to (laughs) dish out to the rest of Major League Baseball. And they're coming up on half a billion dollars per year, (laughs) at least while they have the two old dudes at the front of their rotation. It's crazy. Crazy. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a Giants fan right now. Well, I can tell you what it's like for me as a Cubs fan who lives in the Bay Area, who was hoping to go to the like the one Cubs game that they were going to come out to San Francisco for and be able to see Carlos Correa. Now I can't unless I go to a Mets at Giants game. So that will be a little different. But from overall baseball fan standpoint, I kind of am amused at how much money this guy is throwing around as if it was candy. You know, it's amazing. Because I guess when you're filthy, ridiculous rich, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And in this case, he is to try to build what should be a winner, but also has so many risks. It's easy to see how it can all fall apart on them and make them look really, really bad. One thing I think that's interesting is it's the Mets doing it. And, you know, 20 years ago, everybody was complaining that it was the Yankees that were buying their team. And now... The Mets are outdoing the Yankees and, and of course, everybody else. Right. So I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. You know, and then 15 years ago, everybody was complaining because Boston was paying all this extra for prospects. And then that got whittled down during the union negotiations. And so now we have these restrictions on international free agents and things. And so the, the next contract negotiation ought to be really interesting in, in terms of not so much between the players and the owners, because I think at this point, the players are like, hooray, you know, and we know you've been colluding and you've been holding numbers down and it's all been, you know, sort of with the luxury tax as a, as an excuse. But the, the real interesting part will be those behind the scene conversations amongst the owners, because this clearly puts a crack in the united front from the owners. You've also got to wonder how sustainable this is going to be for Steve Cohen and the Mets, they're going to be spending, like you said, half a billion dollars between payroll and luxury tax penalties this year. As a baseball fan, I'm happy that all this money is being spent and we're seeing Steve Cohen really put the pressure on all the other owners, all the other teams. But as a Cubs fan, I think that the Mets failing spectacularly this season and having it all fall apart would be hilarious, given how much work they've put in to this. And you have to wonder if it all goes south, or even if it goes well, but they don't win the World Series, are they running it back next year? Are they going to make a run at Otani? Like, what is, like, obviously the Steve Cohen tax is not a threshold for Steve Cohen. Like, is his threshold, his net like, his net worth? How far is he going to go? And I'm really excited to just see over, you know, between now and 2026 when they have to negotiate the new CBA. I'm sure the other owners will push for a salary cap harder than they ever have. You wonder how much more money Steve Cohen's going to pour into the Mets. I'm just really curious to know with Steve Cohen already being willing to kind of cross the rest of the owners and say, like, I'm going to spend as much as I want and you can't stop me. That part of it is cool. I'm also interested to see if he goes the extra step of saying, when I pay the players and I pay the luxury tax and I pay all the other bills that go into making this baseball team run, I still made a hundred grand or, you know, something 
along those lines where he's like, I own the team. And as long as it's not costing me money out of my own pocket from my other ventures, I'm willing to put as much as as much baseball revenue as I have into the team on the field. When other owners talk about, you know, losses, they're comparing those losses to what they were projecting to rake in as profit, not, oh, we actually had to pay out of our own money. At least that's the way I read it. So I'd be really interested to know if one of the owners crosses that line and says, this is how much money I actually get from my baseball operations, from all the profit sharing, all the broadcasting deals, everything. And I spent $500 million on players and still came out ahead, or it only cost me $10 or something along those lines where he does, in essence, open the books and say, yeah, it didn't cost me anything. I was allowed to do this for free and I still make money in everything else that it is that I do. That's what I want to know. And that's what I want to see if he'll go that far with how much information he's willing to share because nobody else does. Yeah. As a follow-up to both your statements, first of all, if they want a salary cap, I think the players have the leverage to push for a salary floor and for revenue sharing. That's how the other sports leagues work. I believe they have a floor, they have a cap, they have in the NBA, at least a soft cap and they have revenue sharing. Secondly, in, in regards to opening the books, I think only Atlanta does that right now because they're like some kind of weird ownership entity. We know from Forbes lists and whatnot how much the franchises are valued for. We don't know how much it costs to run a baseball team day to day. So I think that's what Adam is saying. And I think having that level of transparency, like in other union negotiations, they do have to I, I think be much more transparent with the books. I don't know what it is because not a lawyer that MLB is allowed to not show the books, but this might be something that the union might be eventually able to fight for. The Cubs have, in fact, signed Dansby Swanson. They obviously, uh, last time Tyler and I were on this thing, we talked about how they got Bellinger and Jameson Tyon, probably a few others that I completely forgot because they were not as major. And we'll talk Brad about the Boxberger. more. Yeah, there you go. Don't Thank disrespect you. Brad Boxberger like that. No, he's got the best emoji <laughs> jersey out there for the Players' Weekend. Uh, I guess because we've been bad mouthing them like for about a month because all these players have been going off the board. And now it seems that there is some kind of plan. So do we actually owe Jed Hoyer and Tom Ricketts an apology? Well, what are we apologizing for? The fact that we were complaining that they didn't sign somebody sooner? Maybe. I guess I'm still going to wait and see what the product looks like on the field. Yeah. And I think in context of what, the Mets have spent this offseason and the Mets won, what was it, 100 games last year, 100, 101, and they still spent like crazy to get better. Yeah, it's nice that they've done something, but they could have done more. And it's really, you know, going back a couple of years when they were basically stagnant. Last offseason, they were fairly active. And this offseason, I'd say about the same, maybe even a little bit more loose with the purse strings but the two years prior and maybe three it their well had dried up like they were crying poor especially during the covid year when they were crying biblical losses 
So this year, yeah, it's been fine, but there were a couple of years there where they really did nothing and pretty much put out in their newsletter, we are not trying to win this year. Don't expect it to happen. <laughs> and it didn't. So I'm not sorry. I'm still not totally convinced that the Cubs can compete with the market for a, like a Carlos Correa level superstar. Dansby got a pretty nice contract, but it's not in this day and age. It's not superstar money. The critiques that I've heard, and I know a lot of my critiques of Jed has been his unwillingness to consider like the long, long-term contract, if that's what the market dictates. And so I would still hold that criticism that I don't know that I've really seen proof that come next year, they're really going to be contenders for Shohei Otani. And they'll really be willing to do what it takes to be among the top five teams in the running for him. I think all your criticisms are fair. I think we can actually move to the plan, which goes to one of the signings today. As we record, Tucker Barnhart is going to be essentially a platoon partner for Jan Gomes. The Cubs have decided catcher is important. They are going to manage the pitching staff. They're going to prevent runs and offense be damned. So uh, what do you guys think about that one? This was actually the signing I liked the most. As dumb as that sounds, I don't understand the philosophy, but I understand that there is one <laughs> that having a better receiver behind the plate, somebody who's better at framing, while it might cost you for offensive war, if it's going to add one and a half war across your pitching staff, you're coming out ahead. I think that's what the, you know, that was that. That first question I had asked is if Contreras really did hurt the pitching staff. I know that, that data had been circulating about what a contrast there was between the pitcher production with the Cubs for when Wilson was behind the plate or when anybody else was. And for everybody except... Uh, it um, might but, have actually been Marcus Stroman. Yes, actually. it was. That, that was the, the one that benefited most from Wilson, yeah. Yeah, but everybody else, it was you know night and day. I don't know that I do believe it, but I think if that is their theory, then it makes sense to run with it. And let's see if that plays out. And, you know, with the pitching staff that is decent, but not dominating, that could be really, really important. So you pair that with a really good up the middle defense. It really seems like that has the potential to be a bigger swing than what you're expecting. I don't think the offense is going to be great, but if they're not giving up more than four or five runs on any extended basis, maybe maybe they can win mid-80s, or maybe they can be on track and then make a move at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's pretty cool that we were able to cover several, actually, of Adam's questions. We are seeing a plan where they are shoring up the defense. They are having contact manager type pitchers because I think they're resigning Drew Smiley per sources, not mine. They are basically between Stroman, Hendricks, Smiley, and so forth. Those are contact manager type pitchers. So I think they are going to take advantage of the pitch clock because these are fast workers who are going to force you to swing. They are preferably ground ball pitchers. And now we have infield tandem who gobbles up ground balls. By preventing too many runs, you can steal a lot more wins that way, even with a middling offense. So I think I sort of get their plan. I'm not sure if it's going to work, 
because I'd rather just from my point of view, if I'm playing a video game, I'm getting people who can hit like a thousand home runs or triples or whatever. Right. Well, I, I'd say I really like the defense um, strategy. I, I think that's always worked pretty well. The thing about the catcher is uh, of these few that were left, I might say, well, why didn't you just sign Christian Vasquez then? Because, you know, for 10 mil a year over three years, he seems like he'd be better than Tucker Barnhart. On the other hand, if it was down to Barnhart and Casali and whoever else was available today, then I'd have taken Barnhart too, because at least he has had a, a decent year at the plate, you know, within recent memory. So that's better than Roberto Perez. And, you know, the other thing they were trying to establish last year was this idea that, you know, maybe they wouldn't all strike out all the time, which was sort of the downfall of the of the core group before. You know, with a good defense and putting guys on base, then maybe that actually works in in terms of threading the needle. But it's a pretty fine needle to thread. Yeah, I think we're really starting to see the effect of Carter Hawkins on this team now. I was wondering how long it would take for us to sort of get a sense of what he brings to the table when they brought him on as, as the new general manager after Jed Hoyer stepped up. It seems like this team really feels like a Cleveland team. Is That's kind of what it's starting to feel like with the emphasis on pitching and defense and even speed. I think this team has more speed than most Cubs teams in recent past. Will it work? I don't know. I think it gives them a chance. I think it's good that there's a, there is a plan and there is a philosophy. As a fan, I think I would rather the Phillies approach of just sign a bunch of guys that hit a bunch of home runs and see what happens uh, just because I think that's more fun. But I think that this will hopefully be a steady group. And even if it doesn't give them much of a ceiling, I think I don't really envision this team winning 90 games, even if everything breaks right, barring like a Cody Bellinger MVP season. I think it does raise their floor quite a bit. I don't think they're going to boot away too many games in the way that maybe Cubs teams of the past have done. So I suppose in that respect, this is a direction I can get behind, even if I think that they need another left-handed bat that can sock some dingers. Kyle Hendricks coming back from a shoulder injury, the guy who basically hasn't thrown 90 miles an hour since years ago. Can he rebound with a tandem of Barnhart and Young Gomes? I imagine that because he's more of a precision guy and we don't have automatic umpires yet, that framing will still be a big deal for him. So helping Kyle present pitches for the umpire and steal more strikes will probably be really helpful for him. So that's the big question mark, because in some of the posts that I put on OV, I penciled in Kyle Hendricks in the starting rotation to begin the season. Uh, I don't know that he's going to stay there all season. I don't know that he's going to stay on the team all season because, as they've shown, they're willing to get rid of established players if the need arises. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a big swing. But the, the possibilities with Kyle Hendricks, the most probable one seems to be he stays on the team, he still struggles with injuries, and he's not that effective. But there's the other possibility that if a different you know, battery mate does make a big difference. That makes a big difference on the team. You know, if you have a solid Kyle, Kyle Hendricks versus, oh, no, he's done and he's cooked. <laughs> that's a that's a huge swing in your rotation, especially this rotation. And similarly, if 
it seems like he does have promise, but they decide to deal him. If another team thinks he's still a solid starter, they could get a pretty decent return for him. So the range of developments that could happen with Kyle Hendricks this year is pretty broad. And it just seems like that's the story of this team is there's so many things that could go one way or the other. And if they go, well, it could be really, really good for the Cubs. And if they don't, well, then it's just what we saw last year or worse. It, it might be worth noting that, you know, the year that Kyle Hendricks was, what was he, second or third in the Cy Young was 2016, and the primary catchers that year were Montero and Ross, and Wilson didn't come up until later in the year. You know, that was a year where he had two real defensive-minded catchers compared to, you know, all the years since then where he's had one that was maybe more offensive-minded and, and and then the backup that was defensive-minded. You know, shoulder injuries always seem to be such a crapshoot later on if, if people come back or not, but he hasn't been real injury-prone, so I, I would guess that maybe he'll come back okay. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we don't see him and Keegan Thompson be like a, a tandem on that fifth day or him and Wesneski or, or something like that. Yeah, if I remember correctly, a big part of the reason Hendricks struggled this past year was, and I remember him talking about uh, his mechanics kind of falling apart and having a hard time maintaining uh, his mechanics. And I also wonder if maybe that is where the shoulder injury comes in with trying to compensate for that. So I'm also, you know, hoping that this throwing program that he's, we're hearing about that he's on building up some strength. I think a lot of his success is going to hinge on how well that throwing program works for him. And if he can get back to a place physically where he can repeat his delivery over and over again, because if he can go back to peppering the bottom of the zone with this defense and with these catchers behind the plate, I think, you know, we've got a really good Kyle Hendricks bounce back in the cards, but if he can't repeat that delivery and we continue to see the hanging sinkers and the hanging changeups at 85 miles an hour, I'm not sure what Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner are going to be able to do about that. So we're just got to really hope. And the good thing about this Cubs team now is that even if Kyle Hendricks doesn't come back to be even half the pitcher he used to be, there are so many other options, right? Thompson, Wisniewski, even guy, you know, Adbert, Assad looked really good at the end of the year last year. So things aren't hinging on Kyle coming back full strength. Uh, it would just be Again, it's a nice thing, right, to have that other arm. It's more than just a game. Adam has left us a few interesting questions, and we can go pivot to the offense now. So, of course, the big prospect has been smashing baseballs left and right is Matt Mervis. So one of his questions is whether Matt Mervis will be a legit MLB power hitter. What say you, gentlemen? So I saw Matt Mervis in in Myrtle Beach, and I thought he had a lot of promise even then. Myrtle Beach is a terrible place for hitters. Uh, You almost never see much power, and you hardly ever see very very good averages either. Um, So I thought he had some promise. There's some other guys I thought have really had some promise too. On the other hand, you know, some of the guys that seem like they're more talent evaluators than I am, because I'm a casual fan at a minor league baseball game, seem to think that he he can't hit the inside fastball. And if that's the case, that could, you know, the major league pitchers will, you know, they'll take advantage of that right away. 
on the other hand, he's been moving up pretty fast. And it's not like, you know, anybody else couldn't see that, that hole in his swing either. So this is a whole lot of me bouncing back and forth to say, who knows? But uh, I think, I think there's some promise there. Yeah. I don't, I'm not really a talent evaluator. I've never seen him in person. Um, I've seen some of the videos of his home runs, right. But I've watched a lot more videos of his home runs than his strikeouts. My hope is I think his ceiling is Matt Olson without the glove. I think the odds that he gets there are pretty low, but I think that also he's a guy that if he can be a platoon bat that puts up a 120 to 130 WRC plus against right-handed pitching, that would be a huge win for a guy that went undrafted in that 2020 shortened draft. So my expectations are, I think he will hit for power. The concern is going to be if he can maintain a batting average that will make him playable at a position like first base where he really needs to be exceptional offensively to make up for the fact that he's not a great defender uh, and he's not going to hit for a super high average. And I don't know how good his walk numbers are. I'd have to pull those up, but that's another thing that he's really going to have to lean on, especially if pitchers start taking advantage of those holes in his swing. Yeah, theoretically, if he is able to destroy baseballs, then the walk numbers will go up because they'll pitch around him a lot more than usual. We can go back to quoting Bellinger, actually, because I think in his introductory Zoom conference, he talked a little bit about doing uh, workouts for his particular body, trying to maintain good mechanics, pretty much Uh, gave the best shape of his life type of spiel. And I feel like his legs obviously work, so he can definitely get to a baseball and catch it. But the problem is you also be very happy if he can kill a few baseballs as well. Can he find a swing? That is one of the big things, because as you know, uh, Jason Hayward famously lost his swing, and that was pretty terrible. But the defense made him at least a solid a player to keep on the roster for all those years that he was. Bellinger obviously is on a much shorter contract. If he sucks this year, then that's money down the drain and you move on. If he's good though, then there's a potential that you might think about, well, I can give you the QO now or I can extend you. So let's see how he does. But what do you guys think about what was ailing Mr. Bellinger? You know who really wants Cody Bellinger to have a big year next year? Cody Bellinger. I think him taking that one-year deal, and in fact, demanding that he have a one-year deal, tells us a lot about how much he believes in his ability to get his swing back. And he knows his body better than anyone, right? If he thought that, oh, you know, maybe my swing is beyond repair, or he was really not feeling confident, he probably would have entertained those multi-year deals. But instead, he said, no, I want to take the one-year prove-it contract. I'm going to get it figured out. I'm going to have a big year, and then I'm going to have my payday in 2023 and 2024. I'm hoping that he will be motivated to really put in the work. I know he mentioned in his press conference a lot of like weight work, and I'm hoping that with all of that, We'll see some of that uh, translated onto the field and in his swing. He he seemed like an obvious fit on the Cubs, but one thing that I think Hoyer and and that that they do a good job with is that they really have done their homework on a lot of these guys. And I think if they didn't think that refinding his swing was at least better than likely, then they probably wouldn't have signed him in the first place. 
even though he seemed like such an obvious fit. And, and even though they knew they, they were only really going to have to take a one-year flyer on this is too conservative of a management group to just throw money at somebody who really seems like he's cooked. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder, like, what's going on with Dodgers? Because they used to not care so much about the tax hit, and now they, they seem to be pulling back a little bit. Obviously, they still have a far superior team to what possibly even the Mets have because they have hitters up and down the lineup and they have a pretty good pitching rotation, although I'm not sure how good it is anymore because, you know, everybody either is old or left or got broken a little bit. Just in the back of my mind, it's like the Dodgers have a very smart front office. They didn't want to pay Bellinger, but the Cubs are. I think part of the payroll question with the Dodgers is uh, it has to do with those rules about being over the luxury tax a certain number of consecutive years. I think they're on that like third year. So they're trying to reset that, uh, which I'm sure is part of the motivation for cutting Bellinger loose. But you also wonder why they didn't give him a one-year, you know, $17 million contract, or if they did offer it to him and he just preferred to go somewhere else to try to rework his swing with a different group. Because the Dodgers, you know, you think of, okay, a guy needs to rehabilitate a part of his playing style, whether it's his pitching or his swing, what team is going to be at the forefront of teams that do that kind of thing. And so that does make me a little bit concerned that Cody Bellinger is from that organization and it it still fell apart so quickly and he never really recovered there. So hopefully some new philosophy, some new voices will do Cody some good and we'll all reap the benefits. Justin Turner didn't happen. Uh, He went to the Red Sox. They have their own set of problems. Brandon Jury didn't happen. He decided to go to the Angels, which, weird. J.D., Martinez, Dodgers. Well, even today, Will Myers signed with the Reds of all places. And, and, you know, I thought maybe if the Cubs weren't going to sign Mancini, that maybe they'd look at Will Myers because he fits kind of the same first base outfield profile to platoon with Mervis. They didn't sign Justin Verlander or, or DeGrom, and I'd have taken Justin Verlander uh, at the rate that, that the Mets are paying him without even thinking twice about it. I think he's he's going to be a, a, a good investment for, for two years, and they really could have used a number one pitcher. The Cubs are going to try to pivot to a Michael Conforto and slash or a Trey Mancini because I think those are the two – I wouldn't say best, but they seem to be, I, for this context of Cubs team, the ideal option. Conforto, of course, is an outfielder, but I, I think he has played center in the past. But obviously, if you have Bellinger, he can't play center. And you're not going to supplant uh, Ian Happ or, uh, say, a Suzuki. So is there a possibility that they can teach Conforto or if he basically just grabs a glove and stands there? he can be first base until Matt Mervis comes up. I think that they can. I think Conforto, you might put him in the outfield. We don't know the state of that shoulder, right? How well he can throw. That might be part of the reason he still hasn't signed yet. Just quickly looking at his baseball reference page, doesn't look like he's played an inning of first base at the big league level ever. That being said, not looking for great defense out of him. If he can 
stand there and just be serviceable at first base, either as Matt Mervis insurance or as a DH and a guy that you rotate into first base every now and again, maybe into left field when Ian Happ needs a day off. I think that if he shows up and he can hit his 80th percentile outcome, that would do wonders to change the outlook of this lineup because then you've got a guy that you can put four or five who's a legitimate threat. And at that point, if you can get that, you know, you don't really care too much where he plays. He will find playing time. David will also figure it out, right? Seems to me that uh, your backup first baseman at the moment is Patrick Wisdom and that if they sign Conforto, they're really signing him to be an outfielder in a rotation with designated hitter. And if he plays left, then Hap scoots over to the center and, and gives Bellinger a day off, or maybe he plays right and, and gives Suzuki a day off or something. But, uh, you know, you can you can put four guys in three outfield spots and a designated hitter spot without too much trouble. So it, I think rather than turn him into a first baseman, you just rely on Patrick Wisdom to be a, a first baseman and, and take the hits on the strikeout rate. But he's also not too bad defensively either, and you just leave Conforto in the DH outfield mix. So if Patrick's at first base, who's at third? Actually, was that I don't know that was at third? I don't know. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Who's on first, Kim? Well, who was on first in that one picture? But that was a different who. I yeah. guess Christopher Morell is at third base when uh, when Patrick Wisdom's not. Although, or this guy Mastro Buoni Buoni um, that I can't say his last name that they picked up. Yeah, that was basically the uh, Zach McKinstry clone, right? Yeah, that's right, the McKinstry clone. But you know, maybe one of them learns how to hit. Have we considered Nick Madrigal third baseman? Just putting it out there. You might have to run the ball to first base, but try it out. See what happens. I assume that he'd make better contact than Bodie, unless Bodie like figures something out, but he's already off the roster and option to Iowa, right? Yeah, man, the David Bodie story, that poor guy's shoulder. He it would have been really this team, I think, would if we could pencil in David Bodie for seventy percent of the starts at third base, and it was the David Bodie the Cubs thought they were gonna get when they gave him that extension, that would have been big for this team. The philosophy, I guess, is that this year is basically proved to Dansby Swanson that you weren't selling him a bag of lies when you told him that there was a plan. I think the emphasis will be on the defense and the pitching because looking at this lineup, uh, I, I feel like after spot number six, you're pretty much looking at an auto out. That gives them a lot of leeway to figure out who's going to stay who they need to bring in and just kind of checking the trade landscape midseason and next off season. And of course, next season's free agency. So there's a lot of potential. It's just that that's all that there is. It's just potential, right? Yeah. This, you know, this season could go any which way they could lose 90 games. They could win 85 games, you know, 85 to 88 is probably their ceiling, but I think they've at least put themselves in position to where they're not punting this season. This isn't uh, a tank season. We don't have to be rooting for the Cubs to lose to the Pirates in early May this year, which will feel very nice. And maybe the trade deadline will come around and it'll be clear that this team isn't going anywhere this season. And maybe they haven't signed Ian Happ to an extension. And so he gets traded 
or maybe they're kind of on the periphery uh, at the trade deadline and they go out and they make a move to pick somebody up to better set them up for 2024. And I think it could go anyway, but I, you know, I don't think we can really be too disappointed with the way this off season has played out so far. I saw a graphic or a tweet. I think they've spent like the fifth most of any team this off season, which kind of took me aback, but you know, I think they've put themselves in position to at least be respectable in 2023, which I appreciate as a fan. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Tyler. I, I think, you know, this has been a move forward and, and it kind of builds on an incremental move forward from last year with, with Stroman and, and Suzuki. And I, I think, you know, as, as Cub fans who have recently, you know, who haven't spent a hundred years waiting for a world series, uh, although, you know, I spent like 40, um, part of the, part of the angst is that they haven't retooled faster but it does feel like they at least are moving in the right direction. Unfortunately, because Steve Cohen is a rich, crazy bastard, uh, anything that the Cubs spent is a small percentage of that and is always going to look bad. But I also believe that even if we don't agree with his convictions, Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins have a plan. They seem to be committed to executing it. And I really hope that it works because the last time the plan worked. What I'm hoping for this time, though, is with a better infrastructure in place, with better scouting, with better developmental staff, they can actually sustain this core because that that was my biggest beef with the last one is that they took all those great personalities, all that great talent, and they essentially squandered it. And I hope that doesn't happen this time around because... I am not entirely sure if this ownership group can necessarily survive another PR hit, but then again, they're billionaires, so they could probably survive quite a bit. I mean, they've they've already survived all their emails being made public, and that was pretty bad, so they can probably survive a, a not terribly successful rebuild plan. I, I think one difference is, you know, uh, before with, you know, with the prospects that came up, you know, with, with Bryant and, and, and Rizzo and, and that crowd that they had, you know, a lot of superstar prospects and then hardly any depth after that and, and no pitching whatsoever. And in, in terms of the minors, and I think the minors, although the, I don't necessarily see a, a surefire breakout star unless it's Pete Crow Armstrong who could be, there's a lot of depth on either side. And and the nice thing about that is they go in and they the, the depth fills the gaps, you know, and, and it makes your bench better and it makes your bullpen and your fifth starter and your fourth starter better. And sometimes you get good career years out of these guys and and they really contribute. I, I think that that's, that's part of the difference. And, and you mentioned that with scouting and with development. And, and I really feel like there's a lot more coming up the pike than than there was the last time. Yeah, the next thing I want to see them do is be able to turn some of those guys uh, that maybe aren't expected to be superstars into superstars. That's how a team like the Dodgers ends up being good for so long or how the Astros manage to take guys that you look at Jordan Alvarez, that, that Jordan Alvarez pickup when they traded for him from the Dodgers. They took that guy that wasn't really on anybody's radar and he turned out to be one of the top five hitters in the world. And so that's the next thing the Cubs are going to have to do. They've got the depth now. They've got the system in place where they're going to be able to create usable major league talent, right? Guys that can show up and fill the gaps. The next step is 
getting better at identifying and building those superstars, especially if this is a front office that maybe seems averse to competing at the top of the free agent market year in and year out, or, you know, an ownership group that is maybe sometimes willing to close the money bag every couple of years. It it was either a radio bit or some other interview that Jed Hoyer essentially said something like, we want to be like the Rays. I feel like he's not saying they want to be cheap. I think he's saying more that they want to be able to develop the kind of talent they can, not just at the margins, not just at superstar, but all across the board, right? You're seeing guys come up all over the Rays organization that nobody's ever heard of, and they're great at what they do. And then they get, you know, traded off for other prospects that the Rays are able to scout and whatnot. So I feel that's what he meant. But the advantage of being Chicago, right? Because if we have the backing of a large market and this new sports book and the hotel across the street and Gallagher Way and, you know, the skating rink inside the ballpark and all these concerts, you should be able to turn that into what Skip is saying. You use the talent to raise your floor that is coming from inside the organization, and then you use your financial power to bring in everything else. I think they're more set up to do that now than they were before. So I have a little optimism, not so much for this year. This is more cautious this year, but next year, like Tyler said, I do want to see a huge step forward. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Tim. I, I, I think if, if they're not moving forward, you know, more urgently next year, then, um, something's wrong, you know, with, with, with ownership and management. I think Jed Hoyer wants to spend money. I believe that about him. Just really hoping that in the next, especially next year, you know, I'm just dreaming on Otani over here, hoping that they will allow themselves to use the financial might that comes with being the Chicago Cubs while they continue to build up that player development system. Can you imagine if they got Shohei Otani for, say, $50 million a year for... I don't know, six years or something, uh, and, and you've got him playing both in the outfield and, and on the mound, that would be pretty amazing. Uh, I think he's already an amazing guy in, in terms of what he can do in, in baseball, and, and he seems to be an amazing guy when it comes to you know just his interviews and things like that, too. I have a hard time believing that, that you know, the Ricketts will, will you know, bite at that apple, but it would be, you know, I'd be jumping up and down for joy with something like that. And so would 30 other teams. Could it be our hero's moment Through the triumph and the tears Will you answer all our hopes and prayers And as you raise yeah, So thanks, guys, for that lovely conversation. Uh, Adam had to be a good daddy, so he left us a little early. So uh, we'll pick up with him on the next episode. But for now... Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find World Series Dreaming on Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs, as long as that website doesn't go flush down the tubes. But, you know, it's been a few weeks. We're still around. So there we are. We are also on Facebook. And our site is now with ObstructiveView.net, as the folks there have been gracious enough to let me ramble on about the Cubs. I want to thank Rich Deanna for our theme song and Randall Sanders for pulling the out call from the World Series, Game 7. Pat Hughes, who is the 2023 Ford Frick 
Award winner. So he's going to the Hall of Fame. Very well deserved. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts and share this guy with your friends. Uh, any questions you have, please email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Any last words, gentlemen? Last time I was on the show, I manifested a Dansby Swanson signing. Go sign Dansby Swanson and somebody else. Uh, somebody's else, I think. Somebody's else. Somebody's that can swing baseball bats good. So I would like to do the same for Michael Conforto here. Go sign Michael Conforto. I think Jed listens. I think Jed's listening. So Jed. That would be amazing. He's like okay. one of the 10 people who actually do them. that. That would be great. In the meantime, please have a lovely and safe and healthy holiday season with your friends and loved ones and go Cubs. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. It was more than just a game. Hey, man. Uh, it, it said a uh, recording in progress as I joined back in. My internet blipped. Uh, AT&T is terrible and should be shot. Um, <laughs> but, Fair enough. Um, make, make sure that makes the cut, uh, you know, the edit, so that they know. It was more than just a game.